This is the Danger Close Podcast, Beyond the Books, with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Sig Sauer. My guest today is Ray Porter. Ray has narrated over 400 audiobooks. He is a trained classical actor doing Shakespeare at the Ashland Shakespeare Festival. He has been in Murphy Brown, ER, Justified, Sons of Anarchy, Argo, Almost Famous, and he is about to portray Darkseid in the new Snyder Cut Justice League movie. So without further ado, Ray Porter. You're incredible, and you are so humble you, about everything that you have uh, accomplished um, and that you continue to do, um, which is which which is is great. I mean, I mean, I it's, it's really it's so fun to get to know you and have gotten to become friends and yeah. And, and I had no idea when I started down this path. I wasn't a, a listener. I'm a reader, so I have these bookshelves over here just filled with books. Uh, I have ones that I grew up with over here. I've never yeah. gotten rid of one, uh, so I have quite a few. But I have that. I'm a physical reader, so I didn't know much about the the audiobook world. Right. And then Simon and Schuster called me. It was like a Friday, you know, almost afternoon, and they said, "Hey, we have this." This guy, uh, we're thinking about asking him to do the audio version of the Terminal List. Uh, what do you think? And it was someone, oh, I, I'd never heard of any narrators before because I was a reader. Sure. And I was right. like, I listened to it and I'm like, hmm, that doesn't quite sound right. And I wrote back because I'm brand new. And I said, uh, can I listen to some other people or some samples? I think there's some samples on Audible or something. And they said, yeah, sure. Just uh, let us know who you think would be uh, would be good. Uh, mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay. And they said, well, let, let us know by the end of the, of the day today, if that's okay. And it was like two o'clock in Park City. So, <laughs> and, and in New York and publishing, they take their weekends in, uh, yes. very seriously back there. Uh, I don't know if that's the same way in LA with acting or not. I'm not sure. No. No. Okay. <laughs> You're working weekends. Uh, in yeah. publishing, holidays and weekends are guarded uh, in yeah. my experience. So, I started listening to all these those uh, samples, just going to books, listening, sample, sample, sample. And then I heard you. And I was like, oh, who's this guy? And then it gives you the, all those, he's also done this, 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 and this. So I started to listen to those other ones, sample, sample, cool. sample. And I said, oh my gosh, this guy is incredible. Uh, who's this guy? Ray Porter. Oh, amazing. And then that's so why I sent it to Simon & Schuster. I said, hey, how about this guy, Ray Porter? And they said, well, we can ask him. And I said, okay, great. And then you said, yes. Yeah. And then I did some more research and I'm like, oh my gosh, I picked the top person in this industry oh, uh, and I had no, I had no Thanks. idea. And so it was all based on voice. It was not based on anything else. It was just this High connection praise, that man. I had. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. That's really cool. That's great. Yeah, of course. Well, thank yeah. you for saying yes. Like you can <laughs> pick and choose. And you said yes. And I was, uh, it was amazing. And of course you knock it out of the park. Thank and you. audio books are, I think, the fastest growing segment of publishing. It has exploded. You know, when I started doing this, it was definitely, I mean, it, it was a thing, you know, and it was obviously very popular and all of that. But I, I was fortunate to start right before it really exploded, like exponentially. Um, and it Did that happen really, with the downloads more so than because it was CDs for a while? It, I think that as first, things CDs. went, I, yeah, I think as things went digital, it, it definitely became, because it's just much more accessible. You're not having this physical cassette or disc that you're transporting from your car to your house or, you know what I mean? And I mean, car stereos eat cassettes, right? We all remember, <laughs> you know, the, the real use of a big pen is to like fix That's your it. tank. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, I mean, when it, with more content accessibility, I think it became much more of a thing for people. Um, and now, funnily enough, you know, you talked about like, I'm a reader, I don't listen to audiobooks, you know, that kind of thing. I've always kind of felt that way as well, even though I work in this industry. But um, the lines are getting a lot thinner. Mm -hmm. You know, I've said for years that if I do my job right, you should feel like you read the book. Interesting. You know, you should still feel that same kind of spark of imagination and, and uh, the journey the, uh, the author has taken you on, if I'm doing my job right. You know, I love what you said on the Crew Reviews podcast recently. Uh, and those guys are great. So anyone listening, it's, uh, it's an, an author yeah. or a writer, or aspiring author, aspiring writer, um, listen to those guys because they great interview guys. some amazing authors and uh, get some, there's some serious gems in there uh, of wisdom yeah. that, get, that get dropped. But you said something very interesting on there. And you said, you look at books as a letter that an author writes yeah. to the reader. 
I've been and carrying that, that really mailman. stuck with me. I've had that mailman analogy for a long time. Even back when I was doing uh, Shakespeare, I was at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in Ashland. And I always felt like if, you know, because somebody, there was a debate. Are actors artists? Do we feel, you know, and I've always been kind of like, I mean, even st- I've been working since I got out of college, you know, I got my degree in acting and I, you know, in 1989 and I've been working steadily ever since. And to this day, I still say to myself, well, I could be doing construction, you know, which was something that I did before I went to school. That's actually work. That's actually work. I get to pretend, you know, and so I've always had a very sort of, I don't know, humble attitude about what it is that I do. I mean, it's a damn silly way to make a living. You know? Well, I don't know about that. You, I mean, you're at the top <laughs> of your game. You're uh, so, uh, well, so humble and, the, uh, and the you're knocking out of the park with everything that you do. Thank you. The, the attitude of, of approaching it like craft as opposed to art has always helped me. Uh, I'm not saying this is true for everybody, but you know, you, you created a work of art by definition when you wrote your book. I mean, you, you literally created something out of absolutely nothing. If I do my craft to the best of my ability, then your reader, your listener is going to create a work of art inside themselves by imagining the story and like what happens and, you know, the connections they make. Um, So if I just deliver the mail really well and really efficiently, that continuity is preserved. Interesting. Well, I would say, Um, I mean, there's definitely an art component to it because uh, you know, I could read the book, someone else could read the book, but it wouldn't have the same impact that it does when you read it. There's a thing about, I mean, obviously there's a lot about technique, you know, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, I, I learned over a long period of time. There's also something about being open enough to allow as you are being affected by the book to, to show that, to, to allow, so that hopefully it will affect other people as well you know, in the, in the performing of it. Uh, and with really good authors, that's pretty easy. You know, you get really affected by stuff and, um, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I'm as taken up on the journey as hopefully anybody who's listening to the audiobook is certainly as your readers. Cause I read the comments about your books, you know, your readers love the stuff that you're doing and they love the journey that you take them on. Uh, and I'm just happy to be able to participate in that journey. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm like, like if you're the bus driver, perhaps I'm on a mic going in on your left. Is <laughs> No, it's much more than that. And I had no idea when I started down this path that narrators brought a fan base as well. There are people that follow you from project yeah, to weird. project, from narration to narration, which is incredible. I, I'd never put thought into that before until I started down this side of that, either. the path. And it's, it's incredible. So you brought an entire fan base with you. Uh, and That's inadvertently good. I benefited from that. Uh, and I, so I sincerely thank you for that. Of oh, course. no, you're welcome. I mean, it's great. It's, it's in a weird way. It's like, you know, having friends over that don't know each other, you know, Hey everybody, this is Jack. Jack, this is everybody, you know, Amazing. and then you Love guys it. get to know each other. Oh, it's so great. The connector, yeah. a connector. Connector. Yes. Yes. And so you started, um, so your journey started early. You've always had the acting bug, uh, Much. You, yeah. you came from an act, uh, a family. That, I sure uh, did. That passed yeah. maybe some of that along as well, right? Yeah, third generation in the business, basically. My mother was uh, an actor, singer, dancer. I mean, you know, like Broadway in the 50s and, you know, the 60s. She worked with uh, Bob Fosse, you know, early on in her career, a lot of other people. My grandfather was um, publicity advance man for the Ringling Brothers Circus for wow. many, many years, from like the 30s until the 60s or 70s. And also other circus shows. I mean, he basically ran away with the circus. Wow. You know? uh, and he was involved in productions, theatrical productions uh, around the country as well. So it definitely was the family business. Uh, I wasn't going to do that. My dream was to be a photojournalist, like a war correspondent photojournalist. That's what sure. I wanted to do. I wanted to be in Kosovo with a Nikon and, you know. Right. I get um, it. And then... I don't know. I, I saw a production of a George Bernard Shaw play and it really inspired me. It was like, I could do this. I, I really would like to do this. And then I learned later that, you know, if you play your cards right, you could play a photojournalist in a war-torn <laughs> place and go to a nice 
warm trailer <laughs> at the end of the day and nobody's actually shooting at you. It's much which, safer. Yeah. Yeah. That, much safer. <laughs> much better way to go. Oh, yeah. Uh, and do you remember the first time that someone said to you, hey, you've got a voice for this or hey, you've got, you've got talent <laughs> on, the, on stage. Uh, was it in high school or was it uh, I, and somebody beyond your parents, someone from the outside, yeah. like a mentor type person, a teacher or just someone in passing that made an impression that said, hey, you've got something here. It's very interesting. Um, um, I'm always so damn surprised when people say they like my work or they, you know, or, the, or like I've got something. And, and um, I don't know whether that's having a really, really healthy uh, imposter syndrome or uh, <laughs> what, but I know what it feels like. You know, and I can remember the first sensation I had of making a room full of people laugh. It was in a school play. And the thing, the, the idea that I did this thing and all of these people had this reaction, you know, it's, it's really powerful. Um, Interesting. And uh, it was just, I, you know, the, the, the relationship between the audience and the performer, I think, can be complex. Um, I've always felt like out of the out of you know the author or playwright and the actor, the audience is always the smartest person in the room. And if you I conduct like yourself like that, at least as a performer, um, I think it allows the audience in. It it lets them sort of inform, you know, because really, I mean, that's what books are. Uh, somebody wrote, and I don't know who it is. I wish I did. I wish I could quote them directly, but. I remember reading this thing where somebody said, books are just weird. Like, here, take this thinly sliced tree and hallucinate wildly for a few hours. That's it. You know, you're sitting there and it's your brain that's like yeah. conjuring up. You know, so if I mention a title to you, let's say a book that we both know in common from years ago, the images that are in your head are going to be very different than mine. Mm -hmm. You know, as unique as our fingerprints. And that's what I'm talking about with that reader or that audience member's act of creation. Right. They've created an entire universe that would be completely unfamiliar to you if you were. Yep. And it's no, like, exactly. wow, that's, not, that's not how I imagined it at all. Well, no, because they did. And that's why it's hard with the adaptations. When you take something you know, from yeah. book form and then adapt that to, to film, television, because everyone does have that different vision of the protagonist, the antagonist, the supporting cast of characters, sure. even some of the, those settings. Hey, that's not how I pictured that mountaintop yeah. or that's not how I pictured his apartment or well, I have oh, people who are shocked when they see pictures of me after listening to my audiobooks for a long time really they don't expect this wreckage you know <laughs> and they uh, <laughs> um, I, it's awesome I saw your picture I'm like no way and then of course I saw you know yeah. what I, I saw Sons of Anarchy and I'm like oh amazing and then I, you know I'm looking yeah. at all that that sort of thing because uh, I don't funny. have that narration side I have that connection to TV and film right. and uh you know, for those that aren't familiar with your work, was was it Murphy Brown the first time you were on television? Yeah, man, you are. Okay, you, you you've got the dossier. <laughs> well, I want to go back and watch those because, of course, I grew up in the I'm a child of the '80s, so I remember. Yeah, you know, Murphy Brown. I remember my the big, you know, all, first, all that sort of thing. Yeah, my very first TV gig was on Murphy Brown. It was just a one line thing. It was great. It was really cool. It was at Warner Brothers, and I've ended up working at and for Warner Brothers since quite a lot. So I've always got a special place in my heart for Warner Brothers. But that was my first show, and I did that um, in the off season between doing because I was up in Ashland, Oregon, doing Shakespeare, and we would have two, three months off sometimes, and I would come down here, and so I booked the Murphy Brown thing, and it was like, wow. And then I think the next thing I did was ER. Okay. Um, and, you know, just various like little things like this. And then I got to do Almost Famous with Cameron Crowe, which was an incredible adventure. And that um, would, would you say that was, uh, so between a, a first break in Murphy Brown, being on stage at uh, the Ashland Fakes, uh, uh, Shakespeare yeah. Festival, uh, yeah. and then uh, uh, Almost Famous, would you say those three things were kind of seminal events? They were pivotal for sure. They were yeah. pivotal for sure. You know, when I got the job offer, um, in Ashland, there's this funny thing, especially when you're starting out, I think in LA, maybe it's true for New York too. I don't know. I've never worked in New York, but as a young actor, you think, God, if I leave town, even for a day, I might miss the thing. You know, mm -hmm. right. I remember going to Vegas once and seeing these people obsessively sitting by these slot machines and not wanting to get up to leave because what if they miss their thing? And that always seemed a little gross to me. Um, <laughs> And so I never wanted to have that attitude, but I sure did. 
you know? And so I got this offer to come to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in Ashland. And how did that come about? Because uh, I have a, a connection there as my grandmother went there every summer for as long oh. as I can ever remember. Uh, and I never went with her. And I wow. really wish that I had done that because we'd have that memory together now. It's She's passed on, but beautiful she place. loved it. And it was it's such a, a big part of her life. Place. And and it was a big part of a lot of people's lives. Yeah. Um, I didn't really know a lot about it. Everybody that I knew that had been up there was like, oh my God, it's heaven. You know, it's mm -hmm. incredible. Um, and, uh, a director who also had worked with me in college, uh, was doing a show up there, auditioned me and they gave me a season. Uh, I told everybody in LA that I'd be back in six months. I'm like, I'm just going to go do this thing for six months and I'll be back, you know, in LA. And that was in 1990. And my last <laughs> season at OSF was in 2008. Wow. Um, yeah. Up there and it's long six months. <sighs> yeah. Um, you know, LA is funny. LA doesn't really suit me. I like green. I like trees. I like, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and so I get up into this beautiful town in Southern Oregon with greenery and trees and sunsets and an actual weather, you know, right. And I'm at this amazing theater with these actors and directors that are, you know, I, I just astonishing. And you have the element of, you know, I had a woman come up to me and say, when I was a little girl, my parents brought me here and now I'm bringing my grandkids. Wow. That's huge. Wow. Um, so Very I was cool. there until 2008, basically. That's amazing. And then in the off season, I would come and work in LA, you know, and do things like that. And then I got almost famous, which took me away from the festival for about a year. Cause it was at least, I think it was like four months of filming on that thing, which was right in the middle of the season Okay. in Ashland. And then, uh, and then I came back. And uh, went back to work at OSF. It's a lot easier for British actors. They're able to do theater and film and television, and it's all kind of in the same city. Okay. Uh, here it's a little bit more. <laughs> Not too many out. options out there. You got to you got to yeah. travel here. Do you different. think that time on stage, uh, particularly uh, in Oregon with the Shakespeare Festival, mm -hmm. do you think that that helped develop your voice out there, or did you already have it um, uh, to allow you I, to do what you can do with it? today when uh, well, it's not you. a visual meeting, meaning a uh, medium through which you're telling this story. It's this audio. Medium. Well, it's, you know, it's funny. I, I, um, one of my jobs in Kokomo, Indiana, when I was growing up was I was a DJ at the local country music station there, WWKI. There we go. Yeah, man. Um, you know, and so I'm 16 trying to sound like this, right. Uh, which was, it did, didn't really work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I tried. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, going to OSF was interesting. You know, it, 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 the largest theater there is a 1,200-seat outdoor theater. Mm -hmm. And you're doing Shakespeare, which is a little unfamiliar to American ears, modern American ears. And uh, I always felt honor-bound that, you know, the guy who is sitting in row Z paid the same money as the guy sitting in row A and deserves the same amount of show. So really important that he get it as well. And you realize just how much any performance relies on the voice yeah. and, uh, and, you know, the various techniques, there's, you know, muscular ch techniques and, you know, things you spend a lot of time learning. Okay. Um, in, which is why I went to school. Uh, and it's about conveying that story, conveying the meaning of the text through your voice. Um, so honestly, when it came to doing audiobooks, uh, it was pretty easy for me at the outset, just because it's like, yeah, here's a piece of text. And if I approach it in the same way that I've always approached a piece of text and, and really let the text, you know, flow and let it, you know, let it speak for itself, um, I should be okay. And I did that and it seemed to go okay. And they gave me another book and another one and another one. And then, then you and I met. That's right. That's right. If you had, a, you had, a, you had a couple of books though, between when you started and when we met probably 400. Yeah. <laughs> 400 yeah. books. A lot of people don't listen yeah, or 400 read 400 books. books in their life. And you've done 400 just for, just for your profession. Yeah. Just for pay. And then I, you know, I also found, you know, I've always been such a voracious reader that I have three or four books going that I'm not narrating, you know, just for me that I'm reading. As an audiobook narrator, you end up reading a lot of books you'd never choose for yourself. Yeah. And I've been exposed to some amazing authors um, and some amazing stories. And some and genres you wouldn't have read also. Genres right? maybe that I wouldn't have, you know, although I must say, you know, as far as like 
our genre, you and yes. I, you know, yes, in, in the world of, of uh, your books, I've always loved that world. I've always loved that genre. Um, I mean, you know, before I did audiobooks, I used to, especially on the drive between LA and Ashland, which is nine hours, 10 hours if the weather sucks, uh, I would listen to audiobooks. Okay. And so I was listening to like Tom Clancy stuff. I was listening to uh, Richard Marcinko's books. Hey, there we go. Um, you know, he read his, dude. Did he read his? He did. No kidding. He did, no which no I always kidding. loved because it just removed the barrier. You know, it's sure. just, just going. Um, yeah, there's some that, there's some that, like some nonfiction. Uh, it's always interesting to have the author read it. Uh, for me, I knew I wanted a professional. Like there was no ever any question about well, that. Well, it's a slippery slope. There, there are a lot of authors who who read their books and it doesn't go well. <laughs> there are others, you know, who seem to be able to carry it off. But I think you already well, did. I'm gonna, the I want to find Marcinko though. I want to find his now. Now you've inspired me. Yeah, I'm gonna go man, try to go back and look because he narrated. He narrated a bunch of his books, and they were great fun to listen to. Oh, that's fantastic! And it was. <laughs> I was always fascinated with that stuff. Anyway, I mean, oh, I've got awesome. a lot of. I've got a lot of military in my family, and um, I also, you know, came up with a great deal of respect for people who do that. And uh, I think you know, I've shared with you my dear friend who's no longer with us, who was the poet laureate of the Vietnam veterans, yeah. uh, Steve Mason. Right. Um, and it's, you know, just the humanity of what it is to be a warrior. That's very different from being a soldier. A warrior is something else entirely. And e even for those of us who haven't had the privilege of serving, there is a warrior mentality. If you can understand that, that I think serves people well, you know? And that so I have a great uh, deal of respect for it. Well, that is very, very well put. And uh, I might steal that for a future novel. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of stealing things for novels, yes. uh, as you're reading these uh, and you come across something because you get them early uh, uh -huh. a lot of the times and they're not a finished product, which in, in my case, in this last one meant there was word repetition, grammar, spelling, punctuation. There's one or two nails showing typically with most books that I get. Yeah. Cause it's, so you'll, you'll find it. Yeah. yeah. Like you, you'll see that. And, uh, yeah. and sometimes you correct it on the fly. Mm -hmm. If it's, a, yep. Sometimes it's pretty obvious for the sense of yeah. the line. Like it just makes sense to, to do that. And I've never had an author go, no, 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 do it. <laughs> you know, when they hear it, it's like, you know, you're, you're, you're working, you're going and it's like, okay, let me just cover that up and keep going. Amazing. Yeah. And I wanted to tell you that if you come across something, obviously, obviously you have my 100% permission to, uh, to fix anything, <laughs> but also I think it would be so fun to, uh, to add something in there. And so, uh, if you, I, I want to put this, talk to Simon and Schuster and say, Hey, let's put this in there to make sure, make sure no, that, that, uh, that Ray can't get in trouble, but to add something that's only in the audiobook for people to find that you put in naturally oh, or that that as you're idea. reading like that you're like, oh, I should, that would be amazing. That that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. And for people and for audio, for fans, they would want to like listen to you and try to, you know, figure out what it is. And, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, it could be connected to, you know, you personally, us, our friendship, you know, whatever, but oh, I'd love something that. in I'd there that's that. That, that, <laughs> that you incorporate. I will tell you sly. this, there's an, there's an author that I work with named Jonathan Mayberry, who, if you don't know him, I want you guys mm -hmm. to meet. He's another friend, great guy. And, um, early on, uh, I think I made a joke. He wrote, he wrote a character. I think it was the character's name was like nearly unpronounceable. Uh-huh. Some Eastern <laughs> European thing where it was like 17 right. consonants and then maybe a vowel later, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I said it and he made some comment like, oh my God, I can't believe you pronounced that. And I was like, well, it's my job. I got to do that. Although nice try, dude. Nice uh -huh. try to make me trip up. From that point, he throws something into his book to make me slip up. Oh yeah. Like <laughs> I can see that. I've thought about throw it. throw little things in, you know. <laughs> He tried one with a character who spoke Lakota, and oddly enough, I actually know a little Lakota. So I wrote back and just basically gave him the verbal nice. image of a middle finger. Just like, I nice try, it. dude. Ah. <laughs> I love it. No, I've thought about that, putting something in there for, for fun, too. That'll, that's something that just you'll get as you're going along. Oh, I'd love to. Because you don't the read the thing, whole thing in depth beforehand. You, uh, you I like skim, to, you look I like at to it. Not. I, like to, I like to let the book affect me right now. I think that's the way to do it. Um, uh, well, other, other, other narrators, they have a different approach and it's, you know, whatever mm -hmm. works for any individual for me, I found, cause I tried the other way. Yeah. 
And it came off, my read came off really dry. And so I wasn't delivering the mail well. Yep. I can see that. I can you know? See that and so I, I just, I was like, no, nah, let me, let me let it affect me while I'm reading it. So it's immediate for the listener. And that, that's what works good for me. Yep. That's not to say that anybody else should do that. Right. No, I love that, that way of going about it. It's kind of like a first take. And I don't know if it's the same in, in film or not, but, uh, even when I do little videos to share with, uh, with my readership or the, the following, mm -hmm. uh, about hey books I'm reading or some gear, um, a couple of times I've messed up and I've gone back and it's just not the same. So no. now it's just one take. It's just one take. And if I mess up, I apologize during it and keep going. Uh, or I put a little note in the copy, but one take is always, or it's immediate. Not always for the most part, so much better than going back and trying it again and trying to recapture the magic. It just, That's uh, the worst it's thing the is when you've got lightning in a bottle and you got to go back and you got to try to redo that. That's hard. That's, mm -hmm. yeah. On any of these sets you've been on, have you, have you been on a, in a scene where that happens and you're just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that the, I don't know, the boom mic was in the way or that something fell over right well, at the end. Well, that happens or, all the time in films and stuff, but you know, that's, that's part of the trick is to maintain that lightning in a bottle. You know, yeah. so whether you do one take or you do several, it's still got something. And also, I, I, I at least will slightly vary. You know, let's say I do multiple takes of something. Mm -hmm. I'll slightly in tiny ways vary the, the things that I do. Not only keep it more immediate for myself and the other actor, but also, you know, the editor and the director and stuff like that. They may have several takes and it's like this gives them something to choose from. Got it. So you're not yeah. just the same every time. Right. That's, and then they get back to editing and they're like, oh man, if only he'd done this there, but yeah, we're now like, three months removed from that scene. I've got scene seven and, takes of this and it all sucks. <laughs> exactly. you know, it's all exactly the same. Ooh, no I options. like what he did on that one. You know? Yep. Oh, I see. I right. like that. Yeah. I like that. Do some directors not do like retake or some just say, hey, we're doing this once and that's it? Go. I don't know any director who's ever done that. Okay. Uh, I mean, they, you know, they'll, they'll sometimes, I mean, they know when they've got it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I okay. will say like, you know, someone like Zack Snyder, he just, he just knows, Yeah, but he's also so great in communicating what he wants. Oh, interesting. You know, and he's so willing to allow for those sort of random elements to come in and something new. And he'll be like, great. I like it. And you're like, don't you want, nope, let's do the other. Okay. Oh, nice. He knows it, you know? Okay. But a lot of directors do, they know. And if they get it in one take, but typically you know, you want to hedge your bets. You want to have you a have couple to do different, different camera tape. angles sometimes and things like well, that. Well, no, too. you definitely do different camera angles. So when you shoot, yeah. you'll see. You'll see, <laughs> you'll <be on laughs> see pretty soon, Mr. Pratt. You'll see. Typically, they'll shoot a master, which is the whole scene. Every actor okay. can be seen, and you know, and then they do cutaways. So you know, you'll see the interaction between these two people, and then they'll go in and do the scene again. This time over this person's shoulder, so they see your face. And then they'll go over mm -hmm. your shoulder so you can see mine, you know, or they'll do different angles and that sort of thing. They get what they call coverage. So, okay. so that they're I'll able find to out soon between you sure as hell will. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm supposed to be heading out to, to LA here in a couple of weeks to, it's exciting. Uh, to, to be there on set, see how it goes. And then I have a cameo sure. later on. Oh, so nice. I get, to, yeah, I get to fight Chris Pratt. I won't give away exactly where it is, but I, as one of a, a few different people in, in a, nice, a later dude. episode. So that'll be kind of interesting. To, I to, think that really the element missing from the film of Term Terminalist mm -hmm. is uh, kind of an affable guy who kind of reminds you of Robert Plant just a little bit. <laughs> I love it. I love but it. I'm going to have to write that into a future novel. You're going to have to write that in. Yes. So that, yes, I'm in there. That'll be the description. Um, oh, that's perfect. Oh, exactly. I mean, you know. <laughs> I write that later today, actually. <laughs> um, fantastic. But, uh, you know, I mean, like with Justice League, thank God for CGI. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So you, uh, so traditional stage, classical stage acting, Shakespearean, uh, mm -hmm. uh, above all, all else, and TV and mm -hmm. film. And then now you're in this CGI world of superheroes. Per, yeah. Uh, and you're you're portraying dark side who has yeah. a crazy cult following is that is that a good way to describe it i would say yeah it's 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 a very interesting cult following that's for sure pretty amazing really wonderful people uh honestly i i didn't know a lot about the world of comic book fandom until i did this and uh, uh nicer people you'll never meet uh, they're, oh. they, they're so kind and they you know so welcoming first of all because okay. when the news broke that it was me you know, playing the role, I really didn't hear a whole lot of who the F is that guy, you know, it was <laughs> more just like, Hey, welcome. Oh, um, that's very cool. 
And honestly, you know, the world of the comic book villain is about as Shakespearean as it gets. Interesting. You know, all the concatenations and personalities and chain, you know, it's vast. And these people are very schooled. Okay. They know well, what they're, they've yeah. given me an education for sure. And how did that come about? So you didn't, uh, did you know who Darkseid was before you started this project? I wasn't project, terribly or? familiar with the character. No. I mean, I knew, you know. I knew the general sort of the Justice League. I knew the general, you know, the superheroes in it, but I, I was never, I was never real. I always respected comic books and I respected mm -hmm. people who loved them, but it was never really my thing. Right. Um, Very similar to me. You know, and then I got into this, I got into this film and, you know, Zach decided he wanted me to play this role. And, and, uh, for me, it was just about playing the immediacy of the scene right now, as if it's the first time happening, you know, I can't think in terms of the epic years of, backstory with each of these characters i just got to play what's happening right now um so i did that and then of course later i've got people asking me you know did you do this because um you know way back here this guy does this this i'm like oh, no, oh, no. i had to get an education really <laughs> i wish quickly. i could say yes to that um, and that's and basically i've always just been honest it's like look yeah, i yeah. didn't know when i was doing it but yeah. i'm learning you know that's amazing yeah. and that and for you so for my so i didn't really know about that whole world i mean i know that you know, the, the movies and, and that sure. sort of thing. I knew they existed and I watched a few and that sort of thing. Right. Um, but I had, and then I started seeing this thing because of, because of our friendship, right. this release the Snyder cut thing. And I'm like, yes. what is that? and it seemed like everybody knew except me what this thing was. And I'm like, <laughs> what is it? And I kept meaning to Google it and research it for like a year. It has been crazy. Uh, and you know, finally I look into it a little bit, but still it's a little confusing. It's like, wait, they filmed a movie but then they cut out a whole story yeah, and character that seems, and now there's a whole movie based around what they. Well, what happened out. was, what happened was, you know, Zach uh, and his wife Deborah, the producer of the movie, um, they were shooting the film, and um, they have many children, some adopted, and uh, tragically, their daughter Autumn um, ended her life. Uh, Zach and Deborah left the production a little later, uh, and Warner Brothers brought in a completely different director to finish the film, ideally. You know, this is going to be Zach's film. I'm just here finishing it. Well, he, he made some pretty sweeping cuts, and he did a lot of reshoots and a lot of rewrites and things like that, and people weren't happy about it. People felt like it wasn't quite right. Uh, and then rumors started to circulate that there was a Zack Snyder cut of the film and that's where the release the Snyder Cut movement started was these very committed fans who wanted to see the film that Zach had wanted to make and they were very vocal very passionate about it in the midst of it all they managed to link up with the um, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and they have raised half a million dollars so far for that organization uh, and incredibly passionate and just getting the word out there. And, you know, I knew I had done the part and I knew I'd been cut from the movie, but I, I was still under an NDA. I couldn't say anything. And so I'm watching all this online and I'm like, I, I can't say anything, can't say anything, can't say anything. Finally, you know, it was uh, made apparent that it was me. Um, and uh, these people were incredibly welcoming, but I... I mean, I jumped on that cable car as it was passing me at speed. They were already underway years before I was involved. And it's been a real privilege to watch the whole journey of this thing. And it's coming out on HBO Max on uh, March 18th. March yeah. 18th. So this will come out after that. So it'll be out by the time people listen to this. It'll be out. Oh, okay. And that's, Hope and you that's like wild. It. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's fantastic. Hope uh, you like no, it. that's that's amazing. And so did it all start with a... With a hashtag? Because that's where I saw it first. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, they, they really, the they started, I think there was a website. There was a woman in China named Fiona Zheng, who was one of the originators. There are many, but the, one of the originators of it. And she, uh, she and a group of other people, there was a web page, I think. And then they got on Twitter and then they made the hashtag. And uh, under great duress, a lot of people like, no, there's no way it's never going to happen. And they just persevered. They just kept going. Uh, there was a banner at Comic-Con a couple of years ago. There was an airplane with a banner flying around. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, and so they were regarded as like these fringe, like, what are these people kind of thing? And they made it, you know, through their passion and, and just never giving up. Finally, it was HBO Max that looked at them and went, 
wow, there's something here. We should do this. And so they contacted Zach and Deborah and they did some reshoots and they were able to rebuild the film that they had wanted to see. And uh, there we go. Did uh, That's incredible. And, and what year did you film that? It's been a 2016. Couple. 2016. 2016. So five years, many years Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the funny movie because came out in 17, 18, 17, I think. Yeah, okay. it came out in 17. You know, right around the time that it was all really beginning to heat up, there were so many different things going off in so many different directions. And uh, I was becoming really aware of, wow, this movie may actually get shown. And it was like that same week, somebody goes, dude, dude, your name got dropped on Joe Rogan. Nice. <laughs> I went back and I looked up. Thank you for that. That was very kind. Of course. Of course. My pleasure. My pleasure. I mean, you've been such a huge part of this journey and oh, it's so cool that we got it. to meet in person. So first we're texting and emailing. I love and that, that sort man. Of thing. That you came and out to New York. That was so great. It was so much fun. So much really fun. fun. So, the, so uh, Ray was up for uh, for narrator, audio book of audio, the year. Yeah, an audio for, award. Yeah. <laughs> yep. An audio for the audibles, uh, uh -huh. for those that haven't, that haven't heard of them. Uh, and we went out to New York, put on the tuxes and, uh, I had dinner and what was crazy for me is that my first novel so there it is up there yeah. next to Stephen King and Ruth Ware yes. and all that we're sitting at the table together it's having a great time but it's yeah. like wait a second it's up there next to Stephen King like I know that's incredible uh, and that was fantastic. We had so much, so much fun. That was so great to be able to, to link wonderful. up in person. Yeah. And I man, hope we can do it again soon. Cause it's, please, uh, just, man, yeah. it's been crazy. What a crazy year. And I speaking know. of crazy year. So yes. were you doing these in your, uh, your home before or looking that, at it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I did, uh, you know, I think I, well, no. Okay. So I did the first book. Did I do the first book in a studio? I think I did do it in a studio. The second book I did in a studio here in LA. Okay. Um, Devil's Hand recorded right here. Amazing. Travis Tunn, who's directed me on uh, three of the books that we've done together. Nice. He's been the director. And he was on the phone, basically on Zoom, you know, while I was recording. And so I was sitting here and I've got, you know, my monitor that I'm looking at right now. Hey. Uh, it had Pro Tools running on it. And then I've got an iPad that sits right here and this microphone. And I recorded it right here. Never pay attention to the odds. Reese turned and worked his way back into the kitchen and to a closed door off the pantry. Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. The smoke is getting thicker, Reese. You can't stay in here forever. You'll stay in here as long as it takes. The door opened into a bedroom. Clear. Where are you, motherfucker? Reese felt the heat building under the floor through his suit and shoes, the inside of his mask fogging up with condensation. Think, Reese. He moved back into a small hallway, weapon up, searching, scanning, attempting to override his instinct to shoot center mass, knowing he had to somehow take his prey alive. Laundry room. Another door. Possibly to the garage. Reese deliberately pushed the door open to find a garage stacked with boxes. He registered they were labeled with the names of companies in the scientific space. Don't rush to your death. Make your enemy rush to his. Reese looked at the wall and saw the button for the garage door. He hit the button and heard the door lurch upward on its tracks. Seeing sunlight leak into the dark garage, Reese moved back into the house toward the flames. Okay, so you read it off the iPad? I do, yeah. Yeah, okay. I read it. Um, I have a big, I bought a big iPad. Nice. Like, <laughs> um, I know the it looks like a or competition something? book. Yes, yeah. exactly, because I've got really shitty eyes. Um, <laughs> but basically, and then I read, uh, I read with a black background and white letters. No kidding. Yeah, and it's usually wow. very dark in here when I read. It's just easier on the eyes. Interesting. Um, I never knew that. I was. I wanted to ask that. And then, yeah. what does the director do? I'm fast. What does the director of an audio? You know, book Travis do? is great because he knows your books. Obviously, he's. You know, and we've we have a great working relationship as well. And so, we'll both know if something just really doesn't quite sound right. And he doesn't stop me often. Um, he's also a great reference for you know military terms or, or, or things like that I might be unfamiliar with. I mean, I'm certainly, you have schooled me. <laughs> I know a lot Sorry. more about various, um, weapon systems. Now, thanks to you. Awesome. <laughs> um, and, uh, 
but you know, I always want to make sure and I, I research it, you know, because to me, there's no greater horror than to have a veteran Af- Afghanistan listening to my book and listening to me mispronounce a place that he was in or an experience that he had or a piece of equipment he worked with because right. it takes him out of the book and it's also unintentionally disrespectful. Oh, well, it, you know, I'm sure people are, are forgiving, but speaking of forgiveness, yeah. uh, how, not just today, but back when you started, did you, yeah. did you read reviews? Did you read reviews of, uh, Shakespeare performances or, uh, yeah, I did. Some <laughs> people say, stay out of the reviews. Yeah. And I think they're, I think they're not being entirely truthful, um, because Most, it is, uh, it's I know so a lot of people who really seriously just damn it, don't read reviews. And I understand yeah. why, because I've gotten pummeled. You know, Every, you're, everyone's going to get pummeled, yeah. especially in today's I day mean, and age the where there's is, no, there's no barriers. There's no, right. you don't have to sit down and write a letter to the editor, mail it off, have them open it, read it and say, oh, this person's a crazy person yeah. and toss it in the trash and choose another one. Uh, now there's no barriers. Anybody can say anything. So anybody can like on, on audible, let's say anybody can write a review of the book, you know, so where it used to be a thing where a reviewer right. would read the book, you know, and then review it. Well, now anybody with a keyboard can say, you know, I didn't like this because blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, <laughs> it's informative. <laughs> so what I do, I don't, uh, so I do read them because I'm curious, but not all of them. Sure. I just read the, like the Amazon ones. I skim through those. Uh, and then I take a few of the really horrible ones and I read them. Uh, and I read them on video and I, uh, I make, Dude, uh, I make it a fun a, thing. What kind of massacre? Oh, you do? You read them I do. on? You know, okay. I make it a fun, I don't say their name, but I read it. Okay. I give a little, uh, like I, I gotta make it tweets, fun. Basically. And, exactly. Something like that. Okay. And, uh, cause I think a lot of the times when I read the bad ones uh, or anyone read the bad ones, what the person says they don't like is exactly what will make another person really like the book. So if someone yeah. says, you know what, there was just too much description of gear or it was too violent. Someone else is like, that's my book. I've been looking for this one. So I think they help, uh, or I look at it that way anyway. You know, so the I find is, them very interesting. Yeah. I'm, my feeling is, you know, you, you, I would be suspicious if I was everybody's cup of tea. Right. Yeah. Like, I think I'd be doing something wrong. I certainly wouldn't be working at a level or in an arena that would make me happy. Do you know? So I know that, you know, stuff I do, some people aren't necessarily going to like. I'm extraordinarily grateful that people have been so kind. And, and I, I do get to read very nice reviews. I mean, somebody says something nice, you know, it's, it's lovely, you know. And also, especially when I hear something like, you know, I'm an interstate trucker and you help me get across Kansas. It's like that. I honest, hear that all the time about the audio honestly means so much to me because I have such respect for people, again, people who actually work. And I have mm-hmm. so much respect for people uh, in that kind of a job and in that kind of work um, that if something I did helped alleviate some boredom or, or made the day go a little bit better, that's the greatest gift there is. Yeah. That's wonderful. Kept them up in that case through the night, something like that when they have to be driving yeah. and alert. Yeah, uh, exactly. That sort of a thing. Exactly. Yep. I get those a lot. A lot of people who drive trucks for a living reach yeah. out and tell me they listen to the audiobook and they absolutely loved it. They can't wait for the next one. They're listening to it for a second or a third time in a lot of cases. And I do get those ones really stand out to me. And every time I try to get back to that person, yep. if they've reached me out too. on social media or direct message or something, and I try to, to say too. thank you. It means you. a great and, deal. I've gotten letters from people who said that they bought an audiobook at the same time as they bought the print book and they read along while I narrated because they're learning English, which I think is wow. just a genius idea. I'd never considered wow. it. And that's how they learned English. That's an honor. That's huge. Wow. That's incredible. And obviously I've heard from a few veterans and that uh, gets me uh, kind of weepy sometimes just because yeah. I'm so, um, I have so much respect for people who have served and to have somebody say, you know, good job, to have somebody from that arena say good job means more to me than anything. So it's a big Incredible. deal. Yeah. Incredible. Uh, well, first, before I thank you, uh, I want <laughs> to ask you about the advice that your, your mom would give you when you were uh, a kid, when she had, when she would say, use your time. Like, yes. Use your time. Wow. And that really stood out to me as well. And I think it's great advice. And I, I, I was doing something with our kids, but I like the way that she distilled it down. She said, and I've said it to my own son. My son is 13 now. Um, 
you know, I would get upset because like, oh, I can't go to sleep. I just can't sleep. Uh, uh. And she would say, okay, you can't sleep. Don't try. Use the time. Read your book. You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, we all know the secret to falling asleep is not trying to fall asleep. Exactly. But, um, I loved the way she said it because it was constructive and it was, mm-hmm. you know, and I always had a book and it was like, yeah, I can read my book, you know, and eventually yep. I'd be out like a light. Uh, and speaking of books from my childhood, you know, just this last week, we lost Norton Juster at the age of 91. He wrote The Phantom Tollbooth, which is one of my most favorite books of all time. Uh, and if your children haven't read it, get it for them. They should. I will. It's wonderful. I will. I'm going to do that as soon as we're off this podcast. Yeah. The next thing that I do. Phantom Tollbooth. But, um, and it also, the, the great thing about it is it calmed me down. Obviously, I was able to get to sleep, but it also engendered a love of books and reading as a kid. And that to me is the greatest gift you can give a child. I believe is a love of books and reading. So use the time, (laughs) use the time. I absolutely love that. And, and what is next for you? What projects are next for you? More narration? Is there some more narration film or yeah, more narration. I mean, obviously the movie's coming out on the 18th and, and, you know, we'll see sort of what happens after that in that area. Exciting. I can't wait. I got books in the pipe. You know, the drag about having just finished Devil's Hand is that I know it's going to be a little while before the next one. Well, I'm going to try um, to get it to you a little earlier this time and in a little more final form. <laughs> this one was down to the wire with COVID and the kids in the house and insanity. I'll text uh, you and go, go, no, go. <laughs> exactly. And I exactly. record or no, you know. Yes. Yes. We're going to uh, get this one to you a little, little earlier this, yeah. this next time around. Well, but you know, I mean, we've always, you, you and I have always had interesting challenges with each of these books. I mean, there was the whole redacted thing. Right. Oh yeah. There was the government shutdown that prolonged oh, yeah. us getting the second one out. Yep. You know, so honestly, it was kind of great to catch you unawares this time. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Yeah. And uh, and it's and, a yeah. great book. And oh, thank you. Anybody who you know, if you're listening to this and you haven't picked up uh, Devil's Hand yet, just do it. It's <laughs> it's huge and incredible and so much fun. Oh, I appreciate so, that. Appreciate oh, we'll get the audiobook. How about that? And I think that people yeah, that listen oh. to podcasts are just natural, more naturally more inclined to be audiobook listeners. That's my okay. that's my uh, yeah very unscientific, uh, not even a poll, just uh, impression <laughs> uh, over the last couple yes. of years. Yes, it's a, yeah. <laughs> it's an opinion that I that I that I'm basing my my marketing on. So uh, <laughs> <That's good. laughs> I think I think it definitely helps. But thank you so much. Well, oh, thank well, you. And where can people find you at? By the way, they can find you on Twitter for sure. Twitter uh, Ray underscore underscore Porter because all the Ray Porters were taken, I guess. So I just put a bunch of underscores into mine. Um, on Instagram, uh, the.ray.porter. Um, I have a Ray Porter audiobook narrator uh, page on uh, Facebook. Where I'm terrible about keeping people informed because A, I suck at self-promotion and B, I'm just busy. And so I'll be like, oh, I got some really good books coming up, and, <laughs> you know, and then go away for a couple of months. But uh, I do try to try to interact as much as I can with that. Um, so are yeah, you most active on Twitter? Is that where you're most active? You'd say I've been very active on Twitter lately. Yeah. Um, obviously cause dark side and, you know, right. and all of that. Uh, but I'm all over the place. Um, you know, you can find me. So, awesome. well, yeah, thank you so much one for doing this and well, well, first off for doing the books for agreeing you for to do your books. the audio book out of the gate. I'm glad you without, me. I mean, you're at a level where you can pick and choose like these sorts of things. And I had no, no other wow. books out, no following, no one knew who I, it was nothing at all. And you said, yes. And I'll never forget that. And uh, it just means well, the world to me. Thank you for choosing me. This has been uh, this has been a fun journey, and I'm looking forward to a lot more. Oh, awesome, awesome! Well, I can't yeah. wait to get you book five. Let's do it. All right. So, in researching the Devil's Hand, it uh, it took a lot more work than I thought at the outset. Uh, this was very research intensive, very, very history intensive. And I have a whole stack of books that I used for my research that I'll be highlighting online. You can find those at Jackcar USA, officialjackcar.com. But I wanted to talk about four of the main books that I used for research for the new new novel. This one I've used pretty much for, for all of my my novels thus far. And if you follow me on Instagram, where I talk about different terrorist events, um, particularly the ones throughout the 80s, uh, this is one of my primary sources of information. And Beirut Rules by my friend, Fred Burton, Samuel Katz. But uh, Fred, an incredible guy. Uh, He has a podcast 
as well. Used to be with Stratfor, um, but he has uh, written a few books, and this is the one I keep going back to. So if you're looking for a way to understand terrorism of the 1980s in particular, what was going on in Lebanon, in Beirut, uh, with Hezbollah uh, during that time period, you have to read Beirut Rules. It is, uh, I go back to this time and time again to get into the mindset of, uh, of the different terrorist organizations, groups, factions that were operating in the Middle East at that time. So Beirut Rules. And the Dragons and the Snakes. So by Dr. David Kilcullen, who is a dear friend of mine now, but I started reading his work well before we were friends. And this is his latest. He has another book called Accidental Gorilla, uh, Out of the Mountains, uh, quoted me in that one, which was very cool. Such an honor, uh, counterinsurgency. But this is his latest one, The Dragons and the Snakes. And this one really spurred part of The Devil's Hand, where I wanted to get into the minds of our enemies and what they've been learning by watching us on the field of battle for the last 20 years at war. So if you were Iran, Russia, China, North Korea, a terrorist organization, a super empowered individual, what would you have learned from 9-11 up to today? And what would you have learned by watching the events of the last year, the uh, response to COVID-19, uh, civil unrest in our cities, uh, irreconcilable political differences through uh, a very tumultuous election season? So this one really kicked me into high gear as far as all that went. So definitely pick this up and all David's other work as well. Now, this one's pretty cool. You can tell I use this <laughs> quite a bit. It has a, a lot of yellow stickies in here, as does this one. But this is by the same, these two are by the same author, Ronan Bergman, right here, Rise and Kill First. So I use a quote from this actually in the beginning of The Devil's Hand. But uh, this is really about Israel's targeted assassination program, uh, which has really been a part of that country from its inception all the way through today. So uh, these are about different events, how Israel responded to them with that program of targeted assassinations. And then the secret war with Iran. A lot of great background information in here and just a fantastic work. And all those, among a lot of others, informed my latest novel, The Devil's Hand. Thank you for listening to the Danger Close podcast, an ironclad original. Be sure and leave a rating and review wherever you watch or listen to your podcasts. And thank you to Ray Porter for coming on this week. You can catch his latest work in The Devil's Hand, which he narrates and is out April 13th. And you can catch him in the Snyder Cut of The Justice League, which will be out by the time this podcast drops. You can also find me at Jet Car USA on the social channels and officialjackcar.com. And be sure to subscribe and join me again next week for another episode of Danger Close. Stay strong and keep fighting. In case you missed it, on a recent episode of Danger Close, an ironclad original, Jack Carr sat down with former presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard. Set aside all the labels, mm. you know, oh, well, because I've been getting asked this a lot, like, well, are you left or are you right? Are you progressive or are you conservative? What are box you... do you fit in? Which exactly, box do you check? Completely. Are you an enemy and, or right, right. An How, uh, Like, what filter should I use when I'm looking at you? And, like, I've always been an independent-minded person. Mm. Always. Be sure to check out the full interview wherever you get your podcasts.